we're just meeting on the lawn at 10:45, and we're trying to practice safe uh, distancing and and we're we're blessed to have uh, a nice state to live in where we have good weather reasonably nice take your bibles if you would turn with me to the gospel of john we're in a section of scripture we just got out of the john 3:16 message where jesus is talking to nicodemus about being born again and then of course, the famous verse, John 3.16, and then Jesus, of course, saying, um, you're not condemned if you're a believer in Christ. Well, moving past that part of the message, uh, we're going to be moving into some background into John the Baptist. And I'd like to spend some time because I think we could learn something from what God is trying to record in his word so that we could kind of glean who is this guy, John the Baptist? Now, you know, the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, is different than John the Baptist. So we, there's two different Johns here. So John, the, the human penman, is writing about a different John called John the Baptist. Okay? Now, John the Baptist, after the, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, was done, there was about 400 years of silence. And so John the Baptist is actually the last of the Old Testament prophets. He comes on the scene for a very, very, very specific uh, message and ministry. And that is to prepare the way of the Lord. So let's kind of pick it up. We saw, we saw some, some dialogue with John the Baptist in John chapter 1, and we'll revisit that. But I want, I want to read verses 22 to 30 and just kind of hang on one thought for this morning. So follow along if you have your Bibles or a device. John 3, 22. After these things, after Jesus had been giving that message about being born again and God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus and his disciples uh, went into the land of Judea and there they tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast in prison. Now, put that aside, because this is very important. We're going to get to this famous verse in verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. Literally speaking, John's influence and ministry, do you think it increased or decreased when he went to prison and lost his head? Totally decreased, right? (laughs) I know we apply it. Jesus must get bigger, I must get smaller. And I was kind of sad when in Newport Beach, the He is Greater Than I store, if you remember, it was down there. Um, it went out, it shut down or relocated or whatever. I thought that's a really, I always love it when I see that on some, the back of someone's car or a hat or whatever. I love the concept. He must increase, I must decrease. In context, John is really talking about his ministry diminishing so that the real reason why he came was so that Jesus' ministry uh, would take center stage. But verse 25, then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Of course, they're hung up on all the rituals and ceremonies. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan to whom you bear witness, from John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God, Behold, the same baptizes, and all people are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. James says that too. I think it's in chapter 4. It says, Every good gift comes from from above. uh, Right? And 
First um, Corinthians chapter two, and the natural man or the natural person that doesn't have the spirit can't understand the things of God. Um, you know, you need the Holy Spirit to understand it. But he says, verse 28, for you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the chosen one, but I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which is John is kind of standing in that place, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, or this then in my joy there is fulfilled. And I want to come back to that on another Sunday and spend more time on the bride and the bridegroom, because really the Bible opens up with the man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and the Bible bookends, it closes in the book of Revelation with a husband and a wife. It's very interesting. I want to spend a lot of time on that because I think it's very, very, very important. But he goes on to say um, in verse 30, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now here's the title of the message this morning. Don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. Don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the night or the light, whatever I said. It rhymed. It sounded cool at first. <laughs> just don't, you don't need to doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we gather on the lawn, uh, we know that the church is not the building, uh, but made up of the believers. And as we're gathered, uh, Lord, I know you're in the midst of us and you want to speak to hearts. You want to encourage people. You want to put light on things uh, that maybe are in darkness. You want to comfort those that are not comforted. You want to uh, just encourage those that might be discouraged. And Lord, I know we all come to a place in life, I know I do, that sometimes when my circumstances change, I start to doubt. And Lord, I want to just kind of focus in on one of, these, one of these prophets, the forerunner of Jesus. He doubted in the night what you gave him in the light. And may we learn from his experience and apply it to our own. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why do I title the message this way is because we're going to see one of the greatest prophets born into the world, according to Jesus, he doubted Christ in his darkest hour. So some questions to consider as I'm trying to be real concise today and real kind of laser focused on this idea. Could it be when circumstances change in our own lives that we doubt too? How many of you have been put in a, in a tailspin because of COVID? Job uncertainty, financial uncertainty. Of course, all of our health is kind of always uncertain. Did I touch something I wasn't? Did I, was I, my mask pulled down below my nose and did I inhale COVID-19? And, you know, did I use enough hand? It says 99.8% germs killed, but maybe a couple of those slipped past the goalie. You know, I mean, we're all really hypersensitive about uh, our health, wealth, finances. And we have these promises of God, but sometimes we doubt it. You know, it's like Jesus said, hey, get in the, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. But in the midst of point A to point B, there was a storm. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples are freaking out. They're looking at Jesus kind of like, dude, do you not care? We're about to perish. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Like, Jesus, do you, are you not aware of COVID? Are you not aware of my job? Are you not aware of my health? Are you not aware of my 
my 401k is in jeopardy or my housing situation or whatever it is. Jesus, you seem to be asleep in the back of the boat. Could it be that we, like many others in the Bible, we believe, but maybe we ask God to help with our unbelief. Remember, that was a phrase that was mentioned a few times in the Bible. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I live like a Christian atheist a lot of times. I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but sometimes I, I live like an unbeliever. I'll put it to you this way. I believe I'm going to heaven when I die and all my sins are forgiven. God gave me the big item, but I don't believe that I could trust him for the little items. It's like, here, Rick, here's the keys to a Ferrari. Yours, free. I bought and paid it. And you're like, hey, where's the spare tire and where's the floor mats? You know what I mean? Like, you get the greatest, but you doubt. For, why would I not give them the floor mats? And the, they're, like, they're in my garage. I'll, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just go get it. And I do that with God, too. I know, I know I'm saved and going to heaven. I got the greatest, but I don't trust you for the least. I know I, you said I'm going from point A to point B. I'm going to get to the other side. But the waves are pretty big. And I, I'm just, I, you just seem like you're kind of passed out in the back of the boat. It's re- that's real, Right? That's not preacher hyperbole stuff or that's, that's the way I roll with God. But I want to be real with God and I think God's okay with that. So he mentions this statement when he's talking about Jesus. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. I already mentioned that he's referring to his ministry. If you want to apply that to your life, that's a good application But the interpretation, you know, there's many applications to verses, but there's one interpretation. The interpretation is literally John saying his ministry is going to decrease dramatically so that Christ's ministry can increase dramatically. That's why I put a pause on verse 24. John was not yet cast into prison. Because when he was put into prison, his ministry declined quite a bit, especially when he lost his head right? <laughs> um, but let's look, at, let's look at what other people said about John the Baptist. And I'm going to give you what prophets said about him, what his parents said about him, what Jesus said about him, what John said about his own self. And then lastly, we're just going to look about, we're just going to look at how he doubted. He went from the greatest messengers, the greatest spokesman the greatest promoter, he was like Jesus' hype man, you know? And he went from, we just read that when the, when the bridegroom has the bride and he called himself a friend of the, the bridegroom, it's as though the best man, think about this, John's like the best man of the wedding, Christ in the church, right? He's like the best man, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And it's like, this kind of reminds me of a wedding situ- an outdoor wedding, you know, where people are under tents and, and stuff like that. It's like the best man's coming to the bride and s- the church and saying, I don't know if you should marry him. How would you feel? It's your wedding day. And then the best man is coming up and like, I don't know. I don't know if he's the right one. I don't know if he's the one for you. Right? How would you feel? You wouldn't feel too encouraged from the best man right? And that's exactly what John does. But until we get to where he says that, let's look at what other people were saying about the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. 
If you want to go there, it's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I recommend you read the first eight verses. I'm just plucking out verse 3. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway of our God, is a direct reference to the ministry of John the Baptist. Here's what Malachi said, the last of the prophets, uh, and then there was that 400-year gap, and then John comes onto the scene, but he said this, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you uh, seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he was mentioned in the Old Testament. And here's what his uh, father Zechariah says. Remember, he doubted when the angel said, hey, you and your wife are going to have this, this son. And they're like, we're in our old age. Remember, he doubted. You often read about this in Christmas time, you know, Luke 1, Luke 2. Um, So he doubts, and remember, he was made mute. He couldn't speak for a while. And then all of a sudden, he acknowledges that his name was to be called John. His tongue was loosed, and here's what he says, and kind of a reaction and in praise to uh, what's taking place. Here's what Zachariah says about John the Baptist. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child, John the Baptist, grew uh, strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his showing unto Israel. Right? So, That's what the prophets were saying. That's what his dad was saying. Here's what John says about himself. Not the apostle John, but John the Baptist. If you want to go back a couple chapters, in John chapter 1, verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And remember, the religious people of the day always felt like a, a threat to their job security. Why is John the Baptist getting so popular? Why is Jesus getting so popular who John the Baptist is bearing witness to? They're saying things contrary to how they were keeping people oppressed by religious like uh, rules and regulations and external, extra-biblical uh, you know, uh, um, uh, commandments of men, doctrines of men, uh, traditions of men. And so they were really oppressing people, so they felt threatened by uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. So they came and they said, who are you? Verse 20, John 1, 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, nope, I'm not Elijah. Are you that prophet, the one that was to come that all the prophets said? And he answered, said, nope. And they said unto him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Remember I read that, Isaiah 40? So that's what John's saying about himself. John uh, 1, 29, and listen to what he says about Jesus. The next day, in the flow of the context of this conversation, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and John said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and I saw the Spirit descend from heaven on him like a dove, and it remained on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is what John the Baptist is saying. Fully convinced. Does he sound like a believer or an unbeliever at this time? Right? I I'm reading these passages because I want to set the stage to see what other people said about him, what he said about himself, what he said about Jesus in his ministry. This was the elite prophet, right? This was the last of the Mohicans. No, it wasn't. (laughs) It's the last of the Old Testament prophets. John 1.35, the next day again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. I mean, he's validating. He's He's hanging his whole public credibility and ministry on the fact that Jesus is the one that was chosen by God as the Christ, the anointed one, the Lamb of God, for the purpose of saving the world and taking away their sins. He was convinced. John 3.28, I'm going to repeat the text where we, where we started this morning. He says, you yourself bore witness of me that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy fulfilled. So he sounds like a convinced best man on the side of the bridegroom getting he's making the speeches already he's the best i'm not follow him you know if you're the bride marry him he's the one he's the one good choice no mistake right that's what he's heralding in all of his ministry you get you guys getting where you guys are getting where i'm going this is pretty easy to figure out right so Let's go through a little background, and believe it or not, we're close to being super done. Background up to John decreasing and Jesus increasing. So John goes to prison for speaking out against immorality uh, in the the leadership. While in prison, though, here's what happens to Jesus' ministry. He feeds the 5,000. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. His fame, the Bible says his fame goes throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding areas. So Jesus is trending, right? He's blowing up. John's in prison. He's going the opposite direction, but Jesus is totally increasing. So the disciples of John the Baptist come to visit John on death row. I'm just going to call it that, death row. And here is what the greatest prophet born had to say after admitting Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lord who was, uh, he was preparing a way for, the light of the world, the Savior, the one who baptizes with the Spirit. He's the bride. He's the one that's preferred before him. Um, and after all of his wilderness sermons and preparing the highway for our God, 
the one that baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descending upon him like a dove and heard the voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. All that took place under the eyewitness of John, the Baptist. The greatest of prophets has the greatest of doubts. And I don't want you to condemn yourself because when, probably not if, but when you do, you're in good company is what I'm trying to say. You're in good company. Here's what John had to say about Jesus when the circumstances are changed and he's, he's in prison about ready to get his head cut off. Put yourself in his Lord boards, his sandals, his Birkenstocks. They didn't have those back then. But put yourself into his position, whatever sort of prison situation it was. I'm sure they didn't have weight sets and Netflix and, you know, a cafeteria. So whatever the prison life was back in the day, he's there. And, and Luke chapter 7 and verse 18, if you want to turn there. Matthew has this account as well, but I just picked Luke's account. The disciples of John the Baptist reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord Jesus, saying, Here is, here's his question, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? He's in prison. The greatest prophet is now having the greatest of doubts. And he asked the question, Go ask Jesus himself, are you even the one that should come or should we be waiting for another one? Did I miss something here? Think about it. Did I miss something here because things are not working out the way I thought, hoped, expected? I thought you were the Messiah. My bad. Right? This is what's really going on with the greatest prophet in history. So I don't want you to be hard on yourself. Are you he that should, verse 20, and when the men had come to Jesus, they said, hey, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, and this, as this is said again, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And here's the response of Jesus. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and many who were blind, he bestowed sight. It's like Jesus kept on he kept on doing what he was doing. Do you think he knew what John the Baptist expected of Jesus? I think he did. He probably, John the Baptist probably thought, if you're the Messiah, why don't you come and just sit, open the prison doors or speak the word? If you're really the he that should come, why haven't you done like an absolute administration change? Got rid of the evil ones that are in office and put yourself in office. Why is Rome still here and Israel still under like quarantine <laughs> by an evil dictatorship? Why, why don't you come and establish your kingdom if you're the Messiah? I mean, I could actually be your right-hand man. We could be ruling and reigning together. Instead, I'm in jail about ready to lose my head. I really thought you were the one. I put my whole reputation on the line. My bad. I guess I was wrong right? This is what's going on. I mean, I'm updating the vernacular, but this is what's going on. 
when he looks at his circumstances rather than on the Savior. So let me ask some questions to us, and I put myself in, into these questions. When God doesn't fit into our box, our timeline, or meet our expectations of how a proper God should act, right? Do we too doubt in the night what God gave us in the light? It's easy to doubt, to have fear, and to believe other contrary voices that aren't the voice of the good shepherd. If John did, if uh, Thomas did, if the disciples did, who lived with Jesus did, don't be too hard on yourself. Let me give you this quote. I used to quote this all the time. I forgot about it, and it just, ding, it just triggered in my head because I was thinking, John was the best of the best. He was the greatest of the prophets, according to Jesus. And so here's this quote. Even the best of men are still men at best. Clever, huh? It's not, I didn't write it. I just recite it. (laughs) Even the best of women are women at best. Even the best of us, no, that doesn't work. Are the us of us at best? <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Even the best of men are men at best. Even the best of men are men at best. So here's the best of the best. And in his dark hour, he totally doubted if Jesus was the one that should come. Or should he reboot his ministry and, and like publicly go out and promote someone else? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like leaving church, throwing your Bible, you know, into the book pile and let it gather dust or everything about just like not praying or not talking to God. You ever feel bitter or resentful? Is it because God didn't do what you thought a proper God should do? If I was God, I would have done, right? We all have done that. Man, I just think God would have done X, Y, and Z or in my timeline or according to my expectation And we project on God all the time. And I think God's okay with that. And here's what I mean. I'm going to close with this. I want to close with what Jesus had to say about John. And this is really cool. So John goes through all of his doubting. He's about ready to get his head lopped off. And he does, right? So Jesus doesn't change that circumstance. So then Luke 7, verse 22 now. We, we left off at verse 21. Now verse 22. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor, to the poor the gospel is preached. And he says this, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And I thought about that for a while. And I thought, you know what? Maybe those are, those are, that's said to whom people, they don't project expectations on what a proper God should do and act like. And so when this proper God on your timeline doesn't come to meet those expectations, you're not offended. But if you've already projected some expectations of what, how you think God should rule the universe and he doesn't do it the way you think, slightly offended or disappointed right? And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed is who, he says, blessed is he or she, whosoever is not offended in me. Verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people. Now they left. And now here's what Jesus is saying about John publicly. What went you guys out in the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken in the wind? 
But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft clothing? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled live and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went out for you to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare the way uh, before me. And then verse 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. So this is the Lord Jesus on the heels of hearing that the greatest of prophets has the greatest of doubts. He's second guessing his whole entire life, purpose, and ministry. Because when he was born, his dad knew that he was going to be that prophet. His whole life up until he was revealed in the desert has been all about revealing the Messiah. And now he's in prison. He's like, I don't, you ever feel like maybe I lived my life all wrong? Maybe the whole thing was all wrong. And John's at that point in life. Maybe everything up until this point has been all wrong. And Jesus, knowing what he's going through, could have like publicly humiliated him, but he doesn't. He publicly praises him and acknowledges him. Jesus publicly, he, he condones him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't humiliate him. And Jesus still is practicing what he, what he preaches when it's a shame off you message, not a shame on you message. He doesn't guilt people. He graces people. And he, he doesn't condemn people. He puts the con- condemnation off of people. And sometimes the loudest voice of condemnation, I'll be honest with you, comes from our own internal megaphone, or as my wife calls it, ticker tape. Remember when ESPN used to have sports? And there was ticker tape on the bottom. It would give you updates. You ever have ticker tape running through the, the annals of your mind that you just, there's no shutoff valve. It's like not good enough. Should have done more. You call yourself a good husband. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a pastor. You call yourself a good wife. You call yourself a whatever. You know, you ever have the ticker tape? You're just never good enough according to the ticker tape. There's no pause button. And so, You could have condemnation coming from without, but a lot of times it comes from within. But from Jesus to you, there is no condemnation. Look, he had a perfect opportunity to throw John the Baptist under the bus and then back it up and go forward and back it up and go. He doesn't even do any of that. So it's normal to doubt, but God will still never go back on his promises to you. He'll never stop growing us by his grace. He'll never stop loving you. And it's the goodness of God that always leads us back to God. He'll never stop being good to you. And I know that seems too good to be true. But are you, I've just pulled out John the Baptist today. But look at how Jesus deals with everyone. And I didn't read it, but he's, but Jesus, after he makes that statement in Luke, whatever it was chapter 7, verse in the 20s. After he says, those are born amongst women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. But then he says this, but he that's least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Guess what? That's you and I. Because Jesus did set up his kingdom. It didn't come with signs and observations. It was an internal kingdom. And this kingdom is growing. This kingdom's spreading. 
Um, and you are in that kingdom, not because you behaved well, but because you believed in a good Jesus. You're in the kingdom by birth, not behavior, and you're there forever. Your citizenship is never going to be revoked. So we're ambassadors of this kingdom. This is our embassy. Today, the embassy meets outside. The consulate shut down, right? We're getting messages from the headquarters, the king of kings, right? Here's how he treats with, here's how he deals with his doubting ambassadors. I don't know, Jesus, are you even moving during COVID? Are you asleep? I mean, the whole world's in a pandemic. What if the Antichrist shows up and they force some sort of like mark on our hand and they call it like a vaccine or something like that? Mr. Gates, what? <laughs> I was watching something from the World Economic Forum the other day and I'm like, okay, these guys are right out of a James Bond movie. The guy was bald like me, but even balder. Circular glasses, thick German accent, talking about this new deal, this opportunity to reshape the world. And I thought, okay, you got all the money. We don't even know who this ambiguous group of people is, and we're going to be reshaped. And I'm like, okay. Come back, Jesus. <laughs> right? So we don't have to doubt in the night what God gave us in the light. The circumstances could shift and change, and it, this is uncertain to us. Buzz phrase, in these uncertain times, buy our insurance. In these uncertain times, get your carpets cleaned and we'll be safe when we come into your house. In these uncertain, everyone's like milk in these uncertain times. But they are uncertain. But one thing is certain. You don't have to doubt in the night what God promised you as a child of God in the light. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church that we're people, we love you, we love each other, we love this community. Help us to be great ambassadors. And even when we doubt, help us never to doubt your love for us. I love how you backed up John. And I love how you back us up too. Even, even when we don't perform well and even when we're acting like, I guess, bad kids. Help us to represent the King of Kings in an honorable way, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name, amen.